It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast. I'm Richard Skinner from Local12 and Local12.com. I'm the digital sports columnist and editor. And as always, it's presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. It's our weekly edition with Rick Boring, the Potpourri edition, where we talk about local topics and skip around to some national topics and even get into a little bit of zaniness and craziness and wildness and wackiness and ghosts. But we'll see if we get there again, because Rick is not taunting the ghosts any longer. No, and, and we've got a lot to get to in All this right. one. We're going to talk a lot of college basketball, obviously, with March of Madness around we the corner. Are. But first, let's talk about some other local topics of interest, Skinny, starting with the big news of the week, and that was that the Bengals released linebacker Vontez Perfect on Monday after seven seasons with the team. And on Tuesday, Perfect signed a one-year contract worth up to $5 million with the Raiders, where the 28-year-old will reunite with defensive coordinator Paul Gunther. He'll also join new teammate Antonio Brown, who, if you might remember, he has a bit of a history with. My question for you, is Vontez Perfect washed up, or do you think it's possible the Bengals released him too early and will regret this move? And also, what do you make of him teaming up with Antonio Brown? First, I, I think the teaming up with Antonio Brown um, – is going to get blown out of proportion because I think a lot of these guys are fake tough on Twitter. I think a lot of this is just words on Twitter. I really believe that. I agree with you, but don't you think this is where that whole being tough guy on Twitter and part of this new generation, like it actually comes to a head at some point? Because you can't say the things that those two teams and those guys were saying about each other consistently, and not just on Twitter. It was also through media members, but, but, but a lot of it on Twitter. And then have to stand face-to-face. And I know they said everything's great. And Dude, it was fine when they met each other. I still think it's tough guy. Tough guy talk on Twitter. It is. It is. But, like, I still think, well, you know what? Maybe these two idiots deserve each other. Well, Maybe they're perfect for each no, other. No, I, I will say this. In an NFL locker room, um, probably where Antonio Brown will dress and hang is in a completely different part of the locker room than Vontez Perfect True. dresses and hangs. And, and, honestly, their interaction might only be... Um, walking off a practice field or on a practice field or, um, or in you know, passing. Or, you know, when Antonio Brown catches catches a pass oh. across the middle and just shells and Vontez happens to run him over no, again. No, and, that, and that's a potential. And uh, that could start another flare correct, from no, practice no, that, real that, quick. That, that's the scary part to me is because is I watched him do it to Giovanni Bernard. First practice Giovanni Bernard participated in after he came off of knee surgery. He went at his knees. It led to Kyle Kasky getting into a fist fight with Vontez, a coach stepping in for his player. And, of course, then you had the, the apologists come around and say, oh, oh, you know, he's just playing hard. No, you went at, you went at dude's knee. You, uh, he, he can't help himself. He no, cannot correct. help himself. Correct. And that's why I'm telling you, when they get to training camp and it's all hot and everyone's annoyed with each other, yeah, that, he'll do something stupid. Yeah, that, that, that part I will believe. But, I, but as far as, like, if the first time they see each other in a locker room when they have a fist fight, no. Oh, that, no, they yeah. already saw each other and said it was great. Correct. Yeah, correct. They, they enjoyed that meeting. Correct. So, good, they deserve each other. But. He is washed up, and, and the Bengals didn't release him too early. He can't play any longer. And in fact, the league should step in and say, listen, this guy has been concussed far too many times. He cannot play again. Look, when you get... And he's not self-aware enough to understand what this is doing to him. He's just not. And, and the sycophants around him, his agent, and even even coaches, they don't get this either. When, when you're concussed as often as he is... It doesn't take much anymore to get concussed again. In fact, doctors will tell you, after your first concussion, the chances of a second concussion are high. You're on concussion number seven that we know of, and God knows how many others that we don't know of, because you somehow bluffed your way through it. I'm setting the over-under, and I'm writing a column about this on Local12.com, A, that, that... I, I think the Bengals made the right decision here from a football perspective. We'll touch on all the other stuff in a second, but I think they this is the right football decision to make. 
he won't play more than five games in in, in the NFL ever again. I'll set the over under right now wow. at five. I, I'm, I said it last year in Kansas City. You're watching the end days for Vontez Burfecht. He just physically cannot play the game any longer. No, the Bengals made the complete right move. I heard a guy who called in to talk radio yesterday, and he couldn't believe. Do, do, do they not watch him? I'm like, dude, do you not watch him? He can't play anymore. He is a 260-pound linebacker in an era where his coverage skills have eroded. Yep. He can't cover. He can't tackle. He doesn't want to tackle. And when he does want to tackle, he wants to do it with his head, so then he gets concussed again. He can't play any longer. Good luck. I, I like Paul Gunther personally. I, I really do. But he's enabled this guy, too. So, good. You get to go to one of your enablers. Hopefully, he nurses you through whatever part of your career you need. But I'm just telling you, it won't be a game or two into it where either he makes he does something stupid to get fined or suspended, or he gets concussed again. And at some point, someone has to step in for his own livelihood and go, enough, enough. You can't keep getting concussed. It now happens on literally every... It felt like every other game that he's played, he suffers an injury or a concussion. That's just it's the way he's played. It's the way he is recklessly played. That if he wants to play that way, that's fine. But eventually, it takes a toll. Well, guess what? The tolls come. Yeah, and I'm more concerned. You mentioned the concussion stuff, which is very legit. And it, um, I, but I'm more concerned from like a team perspective. If I'm looking at this guy, the the, the stuff you mentioned in terms of his coverage. His, his mobility eroded Correct. so much last year so quickly. to the point that not only can he not cover, but he can't get to ball carriers anymore. Correct. He can't attack Correct. the line of scrimmage and get to holes and, and stuff runs and do the things that made him good and go at sideline to sideline. 55-plus right. pounds like he plays at. So even if he lo- loses a little weight, um, I just don't think he's the same guy. He's and not. I- even if he's healthy. And then you have to factor in the concussion stuff. Can he stay on the field? Can he not get fined by the the league and suspended for a few games. So I totally agree with you. I don't know that I have a little more faith that he might be able to play a few games or play at nope. a decent level. I'm just with, telling, nope, with five. I'll, I'll say it at five. You want to go over or under? I, I'll, and I'll take your action. Five is my number. I don't want to bet on it because I think it's an interesting take by you and I don't necessarily think you're wrong. I have a little more faith that he might be able to have a productive season. He gives back to Pauly G, someone who has some faith in him. They need linebackers anyway in Oakland, so maybe he'll get a really good opportunity. Yeah, and they'll get concussed in the first quarter of the first game he plays. You might be right. I have a little more faith that he can put up a season, but I don't think he was worth it. Even if he put up one or two more good years yeah. that were that were worth having him for, I don't think having him around a locker room is worth it. Well, it's not just that. I mean, and, and people can call the Bengals cheap on that, and that's fine. Sure, whatever you're taking. I don't think this had anything to do with being cheap. It, it didn't. It was it was it was a business decision too the, to say you're, you're saving five and a half mil this year, and he would have cost you seven mil next year. So there is a biz- business decision to it, but it's also business based on production, and the production didn't match what you were going to pay him. And the fact that the injury history is real. That, see, that's the part. It's not even what he does in the locker room or off the or, or on the field as far as suspension, all that stuff. It's the fact that you're paying a guy to probably not play very many games. It's wasted money. It's sunk cost. They got out from under the sunk cost. It was, a, it was the only decision they could make. All of that is legit. But even if you were going to get paid money to bring him back, I think if you pitch this whole thing, like we've been talking about, of new day, it's a new yeah. locker room, new chemistry, you're trying to establish a new culture in that locker room, you cannot have a guy like him or a guy like Pac-Man Jones, who I understand is gone. I'm not saying right. he's still there. But you can't have guys like that in your locker room anymore. I, don't think, I, honestly I, don't, I think this was the right decision just from that standpoint, if nothing else. Yeah, I don't think it had anything to do with that. I really, I, I really I don't, don't think it did either, but I'm just saying, yeah. uh, even from that standpoint, this was worth it. Yeah, I, I just wish somebody for his own good would step in and go, dude, you're done. 
Yeah, you're you're done. I, you, you can't do this. And maybe too late with all the it, concussions he's had. I think it is too late. Skinny, the Cincinnati Reds expect left-hander Alex Wood to open the season on the disabled list as he recovers from a sore back that has limited him during spring training. Wood made one spring training start before his back tightened, and he had a setback when he resumed throwing last week. Manager David Bell said Monday that it's likely Wood will miss the first couple of weeks of the season as he tries to catch up. Quote, it will be mid-April if everything is perfect, Bell said. So, Skinny, how concerned should Reds fans be about Alex Wood's back? And do you think they should be taking a serious look at free agent Dallas Keuchel, who is somehow still available out there in free agency? Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'd pay the money for Dallas Keuchel. I don't. I, I, Why do you think he is still available? I mean, this is a guy who won a Cy Young three years ago. He just pitched two hundred innings again last year. It's not like there's any questions about his durability. Right. He's still a guy who can get people out. But what's his price point right now? I mean, maybe that's where he just. Well, he's got Scott Boris as an agent, correct. so it's they, probably they, right, they won't astronomical. Come off, correct. They won't come off the price point. And if you're not going to come off the price point, and and you feel like, hey, someone will eventually cave, and probably someone will of it. The Yankees all the teams probably, that need pitching. You I know the Yankees and the Yankees are one extra. of them too. The Yankees have a bunch of, of pitchers hurt, and they always have have the money to do things like this. And even they haven't budged. I don't think the Reds should. I, I think they they spent enough and they did enough in the offseason. The Alex Woodward, I'll be more, I'll be more concerned if we are at that mid April stage and suddenly he or not suddenly that he's still having some back issues. That that would concern me. If you're talking mid April, you're talking three starts, maybe maybe a max of four. He's never been a 33 start per season kind of guy anyway. So it's concerning only because he was going to be a centerpiece of your or not a centerpiece, but one of the one of the main cogs in your rotation, this rebuilt rotation. That's disappointing. But if it's three starts, okay. I I, I I'm not that concerned. You get me to mid-April though, and here we are still with that, and Sonny Gray's arm flares back up again. Then suddenly it's like, man, the offseason didn't make a whole lot of difference because you can't get these guys healthy and playing anyway. Backs are so difficult because... Especially for pitchers. Well, you just don't know how bad it is, right? Right. Like, I mean, a back, in terms of predicting this stuff from our standpoint, a back could mean, hey, it's spring training. He's a veteran who knows what he's doing. He didn't, you know, he didn't want to get out there and be too strenuous with a slight injury. They're being total precautionary about it. He felt a little more discomfort, so he's going to take it easy, and he's going to be absolutely fine in a couple weeks. Or... It could be he really strained something there, and all of a sudden he re, re-injured it, and now it becomes a season-long thing that he yes. just can't shake that nags him forever. Back things, they're devastating when they keep nagging at you. Well, but for pitchers especially, holy cow, it's a big part of what you do. It is, but there's, but it's also one of those things where like a lot of times, unless it's like you fractured a vertebrae. Nobody understands or it. Right. There, you got an MRA where you can really see something right. happen. Like No one can really tell what the injury is. It's more of just a thing where you're saying, like, hey, I've got discomfort. So it can be really, really bad and really debilitating, but we just have no idea of figuring this out. So I don't know how you can really be too freaked out one way or the other. I think you're right. It's more of a wait-and-see game. If he's back in three, four weeks, say, okay, we're, we're probably in good shape. If he gets out there and starts trying to throw in two weeks and they say he suffered another setback, well, now I think you're really concerned because he was a big part of this whole new, no I'm doubt. not going to say rebuild, but what you tried to do this season of this influx of talent. If you don't have him, it was kind of all for naught, right? I mean, yeah, no, right. He was the biggest piece of th- what you brought in. I thought he was at least one of the two or two biggest pieces you know, between him, Tanner Roark, and Sonny Gray. I mean, all three, all three of them are big pieces, for goodness sakes, even yeah. though they somehow named Luis Castillo's opening day starter. 
Well, what do you think about that? Because he's pitched so well in spring training. I think he's done. <laughs> he's done. I think he's earned that 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 nod. I'm just surprised it wasn't Brandon Finnegan because he had pitched so well in spring training too. <laughs> well, we talked about it a, a few shows ago that we don't put a lot of stock in spring training numbers. But you sounds like right now you think maybe they should have in this case with Luis Castillo. I just. I, I'm just wondering. I, I love the guy. I, I love his stuff. His stuff is electric, but it doesn't seem like he has taken that next step to being what I thought was going to be a front-end rotation guy. He didn't do it last year, and that concerns me because it's kind of carried over to the spring. And, and you're right. I mean, I, I, I don't get all wrapped up in spring training numbers, but you can't keep going out there and getting lit up on a regular basis, right? I mean, you just... You, Why do you think... I mean, you've I got, you've got a know. new manager who wouldn't seem like he'd have any favoritism in that regard. Yeah, Why do you think they'd name him? I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe just just because you're the longest tenured guy on this on the current staff in Cincinnati. And Alex Wood wasn't available, so... On a Thursday. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, there's there's obviously a formula to it. I mean, if Alex Wood is available, he's the guy, you have to think, See, right? I thought Sonny Gray was the guy. Well, but... That's what you would have expected here in this case. Right, I know. Since he's I know. available, I mean, yeah. I don't understand why Luis Castillo is ahead of him now. Yeah. So Hopefully it's the right decision. Should we be concerned about Sonny Gray? <laughs> no, he actually threw with, uh, without discomfort his last outing, and that, that's a that's a good sign. And Tanner Rourke's actually pitched really well to this point. So um, there, there are some good signs. Um, as far as Keiko goes, I just... Someone will eventually cave, and maybe teams are looking and going, you know what, we'll get him at the midseason discount rate. We'll get him where we'll have to pay him for half a year. I, it is interesting that, that a guy that, you're right, he's not the guy he was when he won the Cy Young. He's not even close to that guy. I don't know how far but off he is, I though. think he's far enough off. Because he's for, never based been a flamethrower. But, back to your point, it's not a durability issue, so it's not like you're like getting damaged goods and hoping the damaged goods can repair themselves. So I... That, that wouldn't be. I, I mean, I, he's I getting I, older. I mean, he is—he's yeah, above but, thirty, but he—but he's a guy who throws ninety miles an hour. Those guys correct. don't usually fall off as drastically because he's always thrown ninety miles an but, hour. He kept throwing ninety last year. But I, and I'm doing this off the top of my head. Gio Gonzalez, who pitched pretty well for Milwaukee after he got dealt um, after not pitching great in Washington. I think he signed for three mil with with the Yankees, something along those lines. It wasn't astronomical. Dallas Keuchel just gonna have to come off his price point. Yeah, I mean that, that's what it comes down to. And you're, you're right, right. And, Scott Boris. He may not come off the price point. And the Reds shouldn't be stepping outside. They shouldn't be going above and beyond to bring no, a guy if, like if, that. If, if they have a price point in mind and say, listen, we'll sign you for this and you'll be in the rotation, um, good. If not, if it's above that price point, if it's astronomically above that price point, then you, you wave and say thank you. I just think there are going to be teams that are more competitive than the Reds this year that are going to need that pitching more that are probably going to be more like Yeah, that's Hopkins. what I'm saying. I mean, the Yankees got all kinds of injury issues. That's why they signed Gio Gonzalez. Yep. They got all kinds of injury issues, and they haven't budged on Dallas Keuchel yet. Yeah, it must be a pretty crazy asking yeah. price. All right, Skinny, let's switch gears to the madness, and we'll start with Kentucky. The big, big dance. Hang on, the big dance. Is that what they're calling they, it they these call days? It that. People punch their tickets, apparently, to this. <laughs> and Cinderella apparently occasionally appears. So I just want to make sure you get all those cliches right. All right. Kentucky says scoring and rebounding leader P.J. Washington is wearing a walking boot. Spokesman Eric Lindsay said Washington has been wearing the boot, quote, as a precaution since Sunday leading up to the number 2 seed Wildcats first-round game against Abilene Christian on Thursday in the NCAA tournament. Skinny, how would your expectations for Kentucky change if P.J. Washington is unable to play or is limited? Change significantly, A. And the last time I, I remember somebody in a walking boot as a precaution, his name was A.J. Green, and he missed three games. And that's, oh, okay. three, that's three weeks of NFL season. <laughs> okay. I mean, that might be a little bit of a stretch it, to make that comparison. It may be, but the, the last time I heard, just wear it as a precaution, he missed significant time. So, 
uh, it sounded like all things are 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 really precautionary. But all right, let's just say, let's say he can't play this weekend. That that it's enough that we're look. They need to give him another week. I think you can get through this weekend. I think you're, you're getting through. You're getting through Abilene Christian. All right, let's let's go. We'll start for, to, for sure. You're getting through Abilene Christian. Seton Hall beat you with PJ Washington playing his ass off. They beat you, and he played great. In fact, it felt like every trip down the floor they went to PJ Washington. It was PJ Washington matching matching shots with Seton Hall. Uh, Wofford, I don't know enough about because I haven't seen them, but but I know enough about their metrics, and they're really good offensively, and they can spread you out and make threes. I would imagine they don't have a lot of size, which is the differential between mid majors and majors. They don't have NBA talent and size like a PJ Washington. So I'm going to guess it's a pretty safe guess that he would be a difference maker at least on the offensive end in a game like that. So yes. I think it would be significant if he's unable to play or even is limited. They He is a big piece to me of what they do offensively. I like Reed Travis, and maybe you can go through Reed Travis more. Because Reed Travis was a 19-point-per-game scorer at Stanford. And some of that is because he was the main guy at Stanford. Uh, he's, he's Kentucky's, what, fourth-leading scorer, I think? Third? 11 yeah, a game. Fourth, yeah, yeah, 11 a game. So he's obviously capable of doing a little more, and maybe you do more through him. But... Man, P.J. Washington, is he's a difference maker for that basketball team. There's no question that he is. I look at this, and I think the big concern if P.J. Washington is out is that teams, what they want to do against Kentucky already, even with P.J. Washington there, is pack it in against them, force them to shoot threes. Like, yeah, they've got Tyler Hero, who's who's a good shooter. But inconsistent and, at times. Well, and and he's more consistent than the guys like Kelvin yes, Johnson yes, and correct. Ashton no, Higgins no, and no the question. other guys. Yes, so, no doubt. I mean, even even when you're talking about their shooters, he's really the only one you're real concerned about lighting you up um, if you go into a zone or if you get really packed in as a defense. Right. But the problem with that is, even when you do that, it's still tough to take away P.J. Washington from bullying you inside. All of a sudden, if he's not there on the offensive glass, if he's not there to throw the ball into, it gets a lot easier, I think, to be compact, to, to keep UK off the boards um, on the off- offensive end. I think it gives a team like a Wofford or a Seton Hall a much better shot yes. of pulling that second round up. So you're right, it's not going to happen against Ebling Christian. And granted, the, the nice thing about both Seton Hall and Wofford is if you don't have P.J. Washington, they are teams that you can get away with not having one of your big bruisers inside against because you really need your guards to step yes, up in that yes. game uh, to compete with those teams. But it takes away a major advantage that you would have had against both those teams as well. So I think they can still make that run to where you'd expect them to get because if you're look, you're projecting this out to the Sweet 16, you're looking at probably either Iowa State or Houston Yes, um, is, is if chalk plays out. And either one of those teams. Now, Houston is going to make it really difficult on you inside to get the ball inside and score and penetrate. They're great defensively. They're tough. Um, but I still think like they don't score it all that well. I think UK can still play with either of those teams, even without P.J. Washington. So I don't know that losing him would preclude you from getting to the Elite Eight, where you would face North Carolina. Yeah, and then you would need him against North Carolina for sure, one hundred percent. But I mean, at that yeah. point, I don't think their expectations are all off, right? I mean, you you expect still, this team I, to make it I, to the Elite Eight this I year. I still think that second round game, I'd be sweating bullets if he doesn't play for sure. I, I mean, I think every UK fan would agree. Um, but I think there are some people that are probably going to take this a step too far and say, "Oh, they're screwed if he doesn't play." And my thing would be, I think they can still hit expectations, which would be making an Elite Eight, in my opinion. And maybe you you dress him in that first round game against Abilene Christian, see how the game goes, and if you don't need him at all, you don't play him. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if you just let him rest that first game and and played him the second game of the weekend. Although, I mean, maybe the concern there is that. 
you worry about a guy not being in his groove and you step into that second game cold it's not ideal but i think you probably give him the extra day rest i think so like i said i think you dress him if you feel like you need i mean it's possible that it is precautionary and he's and he able feels totally able to fine cut through it and he plays and maybe you limit minutes maybe it's 22 minutes right maybe it's 18 minutes whatever whatever you need but yeah i if he can't go at all i'd be really concerned and I, I'd be concerned earlier than the Elite Eight. I'd be concerned in that second round. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't I know be concerned. What you're saying. I know but, what you're saying. But I think they can get Because I think he's a major advantage. He is. He is. All right, Skinny. Cincinnati will take on Iowa in the first round of the NCAA tournament. The Bearcats haven't made it to the second weekend of the tournament since 2012 when they reached the Sweet 16 before losing to Ohio State. The sour taste of last year's Nevada game still seems to linger for most UC fans. So do you think there's any pressure on Mick Cronin to at least win a game, that first-round game over Iowa this season? Yeah, yeah, I think to at least win that game. I think that that's probably fair because you had another good regular season. And um, as, as the better of the two seeds, you are expected to win that game. So there's an expectation that that's a game based on seed line you should win. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of pressure on that. Um, I also think, though, that, that in some ways you win that game and you kind of are all of a sudden with house money, right? Because now you are the, the worst. The underdog. Yeah, yeah, the underdog. And um, and playing against a, a Tennessee team that was ranked number one for right, several weeks right, this year. Right, Um But, yeah, I, I think back to your initial question, yeah, I do think there's pressure to win at least that game over Iowa because, I don't know, you, you have another good regular season and you go out that quickly as the favorite, and I think you're, what, a three-and-a-half-point favorite, something like two-and-a-half-point favorite, and you're also the better seed line. Yeah, the three-and-a-half. I think that would that would lend you to say, what will when will they ever have postseason success? I mean, even to win a game against a team you are seated better than. Yeah, that narrative will be there. I think there will be a segment of the fans that will rail against Mick if they don't win this. I game. I think it's understandable. I really do, and I think he's look. This is for somebody. I think he's a good, great. I think he's a great coach. I think he's done great things at Cincinnati. But you're defined by this month, right or wrong. Whether you like that or not, you are defined by this month. You are. I don't think there's really any pressure on him, though. And the reason for that is is because a couple things. One, I think most people at UC right now are more worried that he might be gone after the season than they are like he's not going to get the job done. So I think in a weird way, them losing this year and him not having some tournament success on a team that really wasn't supposed to be that good and was really supposed to be kind of a rebuilding team – I think some people, maybe not fans as much, but maybe some people like in administration roles that you see would kind of breathe breathe a sigh of relief and go, well, at least we're not going to have to do a coaching search this year. Yeah, um, I, yeah. So I think that's part of it. But I also think like, okay, maybe a few fans are are upset with him, or maybe even a, a decent amount of fans are upset with him if they flame out in the first round again, especially after last year's loss. But it's not like he's getting on the hot seat or anything. There's no actual oh, pressure. Oh, no, no, I know. And I know you're not saying he would be yeah, fired no, no, or anything no, no, like that. No, no, no. But I'm but, just saying, like, real pressure comes from, like, when a fan base is going to be able to have enough influence. Like, they're fired up enough that the administration is going to have to start making decisions or having to think about maybe next year is your yeah, year. Yeah, you're and not even, not, I don't think you're even close to that he'll stage. He'll never be on the hot seat. Well, not, never's not, never's a bad word. Never's not. I mean, we're so far away from that point, though, we with are the success far away he's from had. That point, yes. I don't even think it's it's something that would even be considered right now at UC in the next few years unless he really did something terrible off the court yeah, and so, I, and, and with even, one of his players. Even though there will be a segment and maybe even a large faction of the fan base pissed off and, and, and vocal and all of those things, um, 
when next season rolls around, I don't think it precludes them from buying tickets. I, I, that's when that's, yeah, that's, that, exactly. that's when it starts to take effect, right? And when I, fans start to check out from a ticket standpoint, and and I, they're not they're not there. They may say that if if they lose to Iowa, there may be a vocal portion of that that says, "I'm done with him." Okay, you're done with him today. And when the season rolls back around, you're still a UC fan. You'll fall back in love with him, and you'll go. It, it, it's when it gets to that stage, and you're not even close to that stage with this yet. N- not even close. And, and this year, I go back to the fact that. Before this season, I don't think anyone expected this to be a team that m- made one games in the tournament. Now, maybe make the tournament, but no one expected this to be a team that was going to advance this year. Um, and really, even not deep, but I again, when you're the better seed line, I think that that's a fair expectation to say you're the better seed, you should win this game. But er, but I'm talking about before the okay, season, yeah. heading into this year, I, I think everyone thought no, we well, thought they'd be get, a bubble get, team. Yeah, get in the know? tournament and you had a great year. Yeah, so the fact that they were you know played their way into the question that we were like maybe it should have been a six or five right. seed. I think you're almost with house money at this point of the year. So no, I, I don't see any pressure on them. Although I do think they have a great chance to win. I do too, and, I, and I really like the pod they're in too. So. I, I do too, and as much as that, I I say that, and in, in on our bracket at local twelve, I took Tennessee to go all the way to the championship game. So oh, oh me too. I mean Tennessee's <laughs> really good, but, but I, the I thing I, is, but I, an upset wouldn't make me go. Well, that was a shocker. No, it, it wouldn't be a shocker. Styles make fights. Yes. Those that matchup, that style for UC against Tennessee, that's the fight they want. Yes. They can win yes. that fight. Now, I'm not saying they're going to, and I'm not saying they should be favored, and they shouldn't. Tennessee's really good. They are a national title contender, but it is the perfect if you're going to play a national title yeah, contender no, right. as UC, right. that's the one you want to play. I mean, when you're down to 32, they play your style. When you're down to the round of thirty two teams left, you're probably playing somebody pretty damn good. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, if they were gonna play a two seed, I think that's the one they want. Yeah, that's fair. You didn't want Michigan, you didn't want Michigan State, and you didn't want Kentucky, in my opinion. Tennessee is kind of perfect for you. All right, Skinny, let's get into some of those lines, and uh, it starts on Thursday night at 710. And these are real lines. We actually these have are real, real lines this that? time. Yeah, that. no Ken Palm lines. Thursday at 710, UK, the two-seed, takes on 15-seed Abilene Christian. The Wildcats are favored by 22.5 in that game. The total is 132. Who you got? You know who Abilene Christian is? No. They are NKU to some degree. No. Hear me out. No, they're not. Hear me out. Hear That's me out. disrespectful. Hear me out. They are actually in, I think, they're in uh, transition from NKU was twelve thirteen was their first transition year right? The Gambling Christians first year transition was thirteen fourteen so they are they are that Division two team that's now in Division one made the right. transition making the tournament so they're NKU in that regard. I know that probably disrespects you. And did did they make it uh, they, in their first year of eligibility? Or? They, they they did not. Okay, just checking. I think this is their second year of eligibility though. Okay. I think or third maybe third whatever. Um, and that's why you remember that matchup. In, in Indy, where NKU stood toe-to-toe with Kentucky, everybody was shocked. This is probably a good enough team to certainly stay within the 22-and-a-half number. 15-point win sounds about right. Like 75... I'll go, I'll tell you, I'll go 71-56 Kentucky. So I'm taking Kentucky and the under. Did they cover 71-56? I can't do Abilene that Christian covered, yes. Okay, 22 and a half. 22 and a half. It's 15 to the difference. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll you do I, the math for you? you see no, no, no. I wanted you to do the math, so I didn't have to do it. Gotcha, I don't okay. need you to. Just making sure that, that at Holy Cross, they taught you how to like. No, they didn't. Carry and they numbers. Didn't, and, they didn't at NKU either. That's why wow. I'm. Wow. Well, there you go. That's all I need I'm to know. I'm asking you to do it. Um, I went to Kentucky, for those that are wondering. <laughs> I I've, I I disagree with you. They don't have Levon Holland, who's going to be dunking all over uh, Derek Willis. So you don't even know what Abilene Christian has. Oh, I'm a big Abilene Christian guy. I've been studying film all year on them, so I know well what they have, and it's not going to be enough. What is their to nickname? Cover the spread. Um, the Crusaders. They're the Wildcats. 
That's what I meant. Like the Wildcats. The Wildcats v. Wildcats. That's what I meant. Rough Riders versus Rough Riders. Yeah. I always confuse them with St. Henry High School. Yes, I'll bet you do. Um, I think... I what think city is Zabling Christian in? Texas. Okay, that's good enough. It's not a city, but okay. Thanks, Dugats. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, 80 to 57, Kentucky... I think they're Fort Worth. Kentucky covers this. So that's... Believe it or not, you know what? I think they're home... I think they play games in Moody Coliseum, come to think of it. Or at least they've played some games, which is where SMU plays. Well, is Larry Brown. God, I hope they're not co- sure. Is Larry Brown coaching them? He could be. He's getting players for Maybe. The oh, they are, maybe they I'm will sorry. win. I've cut you off. I, who, who covers this game? It's not like I'm saying anything important. <laughs> Keep going. No. Uh, I, I've got UK covering 80-57, and I'm, so they just cover it by a, a half a point. Is that like a late a late bucket or it, something it, yeah it's gonna johnny be, david with a late garbage bucket it's gonna be something bad yeah and then uh and the over just hits on that number as well so that takes us into friday at 12 15 seven seed uc takes on 10 seed iowa the bearcats are favored by three and a half the total was 138 in that game skinny iowa i think is garbage they were garbage garbage they were garbage they were they, they were one one game out of their last six or seven um, I think that one win was over Illinois. They're 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 not playing very well. They kind of melted down after one point this but, year. They were actually having a pretty good uh, season. I was gonna say there was a point this year where they were scoring well and yes. they were dangerous offensively. I don't think they guard anyone. Real no, well. they don't. They don't. But they can get it going. I mean, they, they've got some they shooters. Can but they also had two games out of that last stretch. I had they scored forty five and one in fifty three. I think against Michigan in their Big Ten whatever second round loss. And their coach is also a their nut. coach is a kook. Um, Coach's wife is a kook. Coach's kid is a kook. I mean, they all get teed up in the same same games and yelling at officials and all those things. I think UC wins this comfortably enough. I'll go Bearcats 72-62. So I'm going the under there as well. 72-62, 10-point win. Yeah, I think it's going to be comfortable. Crushing it. Wow. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be comfortable. I wow. really do. All right. Well, that's that's fair. I I don't feel like it'll be that comfortable. I do think UC wins, but I don't think they quite cover that three and a half. The hook gets them at 67-64. Ooh. UC wins by three. Iowa On covers. Justin Jennifer 30-footer at the buzzer. <laughs> And the under no, I think it's going to be more of like UC is up by six seven. Some little goof bangs I, a three. Iowa comes back on them there at the end, makes things a little nervous for UC fans that are having flashbacks and PTSD from last year. It's <laughs> a good call too. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think about it in those terms. Yeah, just hope UC doesn't get up twenty two in this game in the second half. Yeah, just don't, just no, don't. you want them to be up by like five, five six the whole correct. game. That's They're correct. really good at that. That's number. correct because they stay yeah. on edge that way. Exactly right. And someone I, I did. <laughs> I was Dave Portnoy, actually. I do remember for Barstool Sports. I was watching, and uh, he was giving a speech about why you should be betting UC in the AAC tournament. I think it was um, before the game against Houston. And he said... They lost, they just got beat at home by Houston a, a week ago. Mick Cronin has been pelting rocks off his players' faces since then. He probably did. Well, I remember Monday. Monday was tryout day right after that. So yeah, there you go. Right. He was holding football tryouts. So I just thought that was a great line and so accurate. Friday at 1.30, three-seed Texas Tech will play 14-seed NKU. The Norse are 14-point underdogs. The total, 137 in that game. <laughs> I actually picked NKU to win this game outright, and I even said it was more with my heart than my head. Wow. Metrics of Texas Tech. Man, just note that down if you guys think I'm the Here's the, the metrics of Tech. I said this a couple weeks ago. The metrics of Texas Tech are the metrics of Virginia last year. Best in the nation on defense. They're 33rd in offensive efficiency. Virginia ended up last year, and I, I have to do this where Virginia ended up, but they probably ended up close to what they were. Virginia ended up 30th in offensive efficiency. Preach, Skinny. And NKU is a far better team than UMBC. Preach. Now, this is also a Texas Tech team that's really good. 
that made the Elite Eight last year, all of those things. And if you're going to give me 14 points, though, with a team that I honestly can make a case can win the game, i got to take the 14 points. I'm going to go NKU 67-66. Correct. The Norse pull it out by one. by one point. Injected into my veins, Skinny. I love what you're selling right now. I might bet on that right now. You've got me fired up. Zanai Robinson with a 35-foot runner off the window at the buzzer. And they think I'm the homer around here. I know. My word. No, I'm I'm, I'm trying to do this from from a real metric standpoint and trying to compare them. And they compared to Virginia from last year to me. I I agree with you. Which is a really good team that got to the tournament and suddenly... That other team stayed around and stayed around, and then you started missing a couple shots, and they stayed around and had the lead, and you started missing some shots. It, I, I, it just it feels that way. Everything you said are the reasons I was excited when NKU drew Texas Tech. I think Best of the three seeds. That, them and Purdue would have been a close second of the three seeds to me. I agree with LSU, that. LSU, no offense, no chance. None, zip, zilch, not a Houston, to me, no chance. I, I agree with both of those statements. The only thing that really concerns me about Texas Tech is you flash back to the UC game. Granted, Jalen Tate wasn't 100% in that game, and that made a difference. And, and NKU seemed a little shell-shocked, I think, partly because it was – I think there's a little something when it's a team in your own city. Right. There's a little more to it than even sometimes an NCAA tournament sure. game where you're kind of just saying, it's house money now. You know That that game in the beginning of your season when you're going to UC's gym kind of feels like there's a lot riding on that. But, but the other part, too, is – you talk about this, and, and it, it is so true. Seasons are so fluid. They really are. They are. This team, the way it played in the Horizon League the, la- the last game of especially the, the championship game against Wright State. You watched that game, and you did. You and I watched it. I went, damn, they look good. I mean, they, they, they played. Re- it wasn't just the fact they won by They played really well. Now, can you bottle that? I don't know. But I think there is a little, at least a small carryover effect to that, especially because now all the pressure was there, right? I mean, mm. look, you're a one-bid league. you got to win that game. You have a team that's capable of winning that game. All that pressure, and you played that well. Now it's, hey, look at us. Here we are again. And, and remember what we did two years ago? We pushed a really good Kentucky team to the brink. This team ain't as good as that Kentucky team was. Confidence has to be through the roof. But going back to that UC game, the point I wanted to make here um, that does worry me the more I think about it is Kentucky or UC plays that matchup zone that NKU just really couldn't get anything working against. They couldn't get the ball inside to Drew. They couldn't get the ball sort of in the the post or uh, high post area to sort of work the middle of that zone. They end up just launching some bad threes and never really found their rhythm. Texas Tech plays a matchup zone that's similar to that. They're really good at it. They're better than UC. That's the one thing that really does worry me in this matchup. That being said, I agree with everything you said also. I think it's going to be a more interesting game than the spread suggests. I I don't love the 14 points, but I will say I checked the halftime line, and it's 8. 8 seems like a huge number in the first half. I think I'll jump all over that. But for our sake on this podcast, I'm going to go 72-62. The Norse do cover that number. They lose by 10. Texas Tech wins, um, and the, the number overall stays under. Yeah, I think the number stays under. That that, that, that one to me is a— Yeah, 137 a, seems a bit seems really high, high, especially for a team like Texas Tech that plays such good defense. Correct. And it, it isn't great offensively. Yep. Friday, 9.50 p.m., Iowa State, the 6th seed, takes on 11th seed, Ohio State. That game's also out in Tulsa where NKU is. The Buckeyes are five and a half point underdogs. One thirty nine is the total. Who you got? Ohio State. I thought had a chance to, to make a little noise in the Big Ten tournament with Caleb Wesson back, and they really they did win the game they needed to win against Indiana. I do think that was a winner take all game. I think if Indiana had won that game, they're in. They're in. And Ohio State would be playing in the NIT as a one seed, like Indiana's playing in the NIT. I think that wound up being a winner take all. 
So I, they did what they had to do. I, I just this is it's not a very good Ohio State team, and I think Iowa State, when they finally got it figured out, um, they got some dudes. I mean, they got some guys, and they got eleven losses. And you can look at that and go, wait a minute, that's that's a lot of losses. But they they had some internal strife at one point this year. They seem like they've kind of gotten all on the same page. They played great in the Big Twelve tournament. I'm going to go Iowa State 77-62. I think they blow this one open. Oh, wow. And I'm right on the tag on. I'm right on the, the over-under number two. Yeah, just, just nailed it on Let's the go. Top, hang on. Hang it? on. My bad. They, they just now reviewed it, and they said that last three by Ohio – the last shot by Ohio State was a three. So, 77-63 final. Toes were not on the line. Correct. It's good. It's good. So, they, they went back and reviewed it. So, there we go. Game went over by a point. I went 75-70. Again, I'm, I'm just living on that hook. That, you are, that five man. and a half, I'm just like, the yep, that's is, just enough for me. Is, the hook is dragging you in, boy. 75-70. <laughs> yep. Iowa State wins, but doesn't cover. So take Ohio State if you uh, what, 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 what or take you Iowa State. What makes you think Ohio State covers, just out of curiosity? I just I don't think Iowa State is that great either. Like well, they're pretty good. I think they're talented, but let's look at their resume. Let's no, look I, at, I said they got 11 losses. And, and I don't love their conference this year. Like, I, I hate didn't, their conference. Yeah, that's, I why I hate, that's why I don't like Texas Tech. Right. So I I just, I don't know. I like, I don't love them. I, I don't think, this isn't a big like, oh, Iowa State is, uh, or Ohio State is really good or is going to play well or anything. It's just like, I don't think either of these teams are that great. I like Iowa State a little bit more, so I'm going to roll with them to right. win. But I think, uh, I think it's going to stay close. Um, but I do like the over in that game. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm probably I'm probably teetering with the over more than I should. It, 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 you're probably right. It probably does because Iowa State likes to get up and down a little bit. I don't Ohio think State, either one of them are going to play great defense. No. They don't see all that interested right now. In yeah, playing I'm still going over by, by a point. I, I did take the over, so at the end of the day, I did go yeah. to the over. I went over by six in that yeah, one. You so I was a little over. heavy on that. All right, Skinny, let's take a look at some national storylines, and we will stick in the March Madness theme as we talk about some betting lines still. Uh, William Hill Sportsbooks reports that it has several long-shot futures bets still on the table heading into the NCAA tournament. Some of those include a $2,000 bet on UC at 200-1 odds, $2,000 on Purdue at 150-1 odds, 1000 on Louisville at 250-1 odds, 1000 on Minnesota at 200-1 odds, etc., etc. So if you held a $1,000 futures bet for one of these teams at these odds, Odds, which you which would you want it to be? Cincinnati at two hundred to one, Purdue at one fifty to one, Louisville at two fifty to one, Minnesota at two hundred to one, Buffalo at one thousand to one, Florida State at seventy five to one, Ohio State at one fifty to one, UCF at five hundred to one, or San Diego State at three thousand to one. All right, so I got a thousand dollars I can put on any of those lines, correct? Right. All of them long shots. How, can I split it in five hundred dollar bets? <laughs> no. Can I hedge? No, because I got two teams I really like at the no. odds that are on there. Okay, you can tell us both teams, but you're going to have to make a final decision at the end because there's two teams that I like as well: Buffalo and Florida State. Buffalo at a thousand to one. I think they're really, really good. That's I one got of mine. I got them going to the Elite Eight in, in the bracket. I did. I had them in the Final Four. I came close until I. If you look at the Gonzaga metrics, it's hard to take a team that's top five in both offensive and defensive efficiency and not take them. It really is. Gonzaga's great, but I, they've also made a lot of runs. I, I, I'm, I'm just, with, I'm I'm just you. hoping I'm they you. get upset somehow. I'm with you. No, I'm with you. Um, that, that's one reason I took it. Was just If you go on recent history, man, their metrics say that's a national championship level team. I agree. And, oh, and they're was, awesome. And you know they beat Duke earlier in the year. Um, but I got Buffalo going to the Elite Eight. I, I'm going to settle on $1,000 on Florida State. And I know they're in this. I, 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 they're they are they are a team that's in that same Gonzaga thing. I, I think they've got a great chance to beat them in the Sweet Sixteen. You get through that game, obviously Buffalo would be the team on the other side. That's why I'd like to hedge my bets because I think one of those. Honestly, I think one of those two have a legitimate chance to get to the Final Four. And then, as you know, anything is possible. 
I'm going to settle on Florida State at 75 to 1, but a grand on a on a 1000 to 1 shot, that's a lot of zeros that you can put in your pocket. I'd be awful a lot tempting. of zeros to put in your pocket. And, and Buffalo's the one that I it was one of the two that I would have wanted too. Um, Florida State was very tempting just because they're the best team available right. out of any of these. They had the most legitimate shot. And they have, and they have the, the smallest odds of any of these two. Well, and so. that's, that's the yeah. reason I'm staying away yeah. from them because they don't have the best odds. And also, like, I think... I Leonard, don't know, man. 75 grand, 75 to 1 with a grand, 75 grand. I don't think Leonard Hamilton is a bad coach, but I also don't trust him to win six I in a row. I think that's fair. In a tournament. I think I that's just very, do not. very fair. So I'm staying away from Florida State as well. I can't make a case for any of the others. Oh, really? I've got one for you. Do you really? If you, go, if you go Purdue, I'm going to reach across the table and slap you upside the head. Zero chance. Okay. No chance at all. What about Louisville at 200, 250 to one not, odds? Not, not, not consistent enough offensively to, to make to win six games in a row. Not a chance. I love Chris Mack. Not a Chris chance. Chris Mack is 12-5-1 against the spread in NCAA tournament games. He's not, made runs with teams much less talented than this Louisville team. They he just, made a run to the Elite Eight yeah. a few years ago with Look, a team much less talented than this Louisville team. I think Jordan the, Nora is an NBA first-round type guy. I think the fact that they got to a seven seed tells you what how good of a coach Chris Mack is. This is not a this is not a very good team. I don't disagree this with that. This is an okay but team. None it, of these teams available here are great teams, I don't think. I think Buffalo is really good. So do I, but they're they're a long shot to win a national title. Let's be honest. I mean, do you think Buffalo's, like, Buffalo winning a national title this year would have been like Butler when they were the AC that you're winning? Yes, I know. So, so, I mean, it's a long shot. That's why I'm I'm taking my grain and putting it on Florida State. I just, Louisville just offensively, and, and honestly, as the year went on, I don't know if they wore down, if just being in the league and teams figured some things out, whatever, they just, they just didn't play great the last month and change. I mean, some of that was they blew leads. They're you know, in they the did, ACC. <laughs> no, I don't. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, but they just, it just felt like they hit kind of a lull and never really have gotten it back. I, I don't know. I, I think you play in the ACC like that, you're used to this gauntlet, and all of a sudden you get in the NCAA tournament, and all of a sudden things open up a little bit Florida more. Florida State's in the ACC? I, I think Florida State's got a good chance okay. to make a run. Like I said, they were one I considered. I just didn't like the fact that they had the lowest odds, and I don't trust Leonard Hamilton to ever win uh Back to back to back to back to back games like that. Just look, take a look at Louisville's. Take a look at Louisville's draw though, real quick for me here. Uh, I, I Louisville did. plays but, Minnesota wait, in the first no, round. No, who no, stinks. They'll kick. They the are that terrible. One, yeah, that, that one. I'm okay. You. That, they that one I'm beat you. Michigan State already this year, and Michigan State has a lot of injury trouble. So if you're picking an upset, that's not an unreasonable upset in the second round. And if that happens afterwards, you've got LSU who might already be out of the tournament because their coach isn't coaching them anymore, and they have yeah. all types of turmoil in the locker room. Hold on, if you're so confident LSU is going to be there, I am. I, I, I think LSU I, is by far the best team, but there's no way you can be 100% confident they're going to be there. I feel great about them being there. And you, and you know why you feel great? Because I think, the rest of that pod is not very good. Correct. Because, so because that's I, why I, I think Louisville's a decent I, pick. I do think Belmont beats Maryland, and I, I think LSU beats Belmont just on sheer talent alone. See, I think Maryland ends up winning that. I like Belmont better, but I think Maryland just has more talent and ends up winning that, although they're not very good. Um, All right, so even if Maryland wins, I think LSU wins no matter who wins. 
Okay, so so then if LSU is facing L- Louisville, in, LSU will kill them in the Sweet Sixteen. They will kill them in the Sweet Sixteen. They will kill them. We'll see. <laughs> okay, we will see. I mean, I don't I, know if it ever gets. To I, I like State, you. I like you making a case for Louisville. I do like the fact you're making I, a case. So, I just now the I, problem I, is consistency factor bothers. Now me. the problem is they run into Duke at some point more than likely. So well, that's a good. Point realistically, too. they're not going to win it. That would be the Elite Eight, though. And then uh, I guess yeah, you get the Elite Eight. Everybody has a puncher's chance in the Elite Eight. Exactly right. What do you think about you see at two hundred to one odds? That's not a terrible bet. That pod, it's, I don't it's think. not They're probably because my, we've talked about that pod being, or actually that 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 region, region being the whole region, yeah, being kind of a UC style of play. I mean, one of these teams is coming out of the upper part of that, right? Virginia, Wisconsin, Kansas State are probably the one team that, that is a different style of play would be the team in the Sweet Sixteen, which would be. Um, you know, likely Villanova, maybe Purdue. Yeah, um, and Villanova still slows it down. They just shoot a ton of threes. They, yeah, they just they, they make a bunch of shots. Yeah, <laughs> they, they make a bunch of shots. Um, I just they're not again not good. They don't have enough weapons to win six straight games in this tournament. They just don't. I, I absolutely agree, but I but I do think I mean after after the teams we named, which were Louisville, Buffalo, Florida State, but, I think UC but, might be the next the, team I'd the, look at. The thing about Buffalo and Florida State would be, I think we all agree, we talked about this Sunday night with, with Bobby Regan from Barstool Sports, that West region is the one that feels like the most chaos is coming, even though I just made a case for Gonzaga metrically being a team that you can't ignore at all. Uh, uh, but it still feels like that's the one where I can go, yeah, but the, the, the way that bracket could bust open, it could be that's where you get the wacky seed. I mean, other than that, you're going to wind up with probably two one seeds and a two seed and one wacky seed. That feels like where the wacky seed would come from. So. Yep, I'm with you. On I like that. that was good. I like that. That was a good exercise. I can't, I can't make even a close. Somebody actually has a fifty dollar bet on San Diego State at three thousand one. That's got to be a San Diego State alum, right? Yeah, you would assume. Yeah. I'd love them for that. But I mean, a lot of these obviously were placed, you know, at the beginning right. of the year or very early on. So it's I got it's a, pretty fun to look back at. Some no, of those I got a guy. Made. I got a guy coached with it. Uh, at Beachwood, he's got um, he's got North Carolina at eight to one, and he's got he had somebody else. Golly, that was actually legit. UK got really high at one point. I Mo got, got I, he, I think he got him at twenty two to one. That's right? what I think Mo said he got him. Yeah, at. yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, so I mean, you had a chance to get some of these teams at a decent price early in the year. I mean, when Kentucky got beat by Duke, I guarantee their numbers shot through the roof, and then suddenly, oh wait a minute, that's a pretty good value play. Yeah. Well, what about when Kentucky lost to Seton Hall? Yeah, maybe that's when he got him. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I know he got him at twenty-two to one, which yeah. is a pretty good price. And, and the guy I know got Carolina at eight to one. Again, you're not going to feel great about any of this, but you got Carolina at eight to one and Kentucky at twenty-two to one. Oh, you feel real good about that if you haven't right now. Damn good value right there. Yeah. Skinny, the NCLA selection committee chair Bernard Mira said the committee Bernard. examined how well teams did against opponents in the net rankings top quadrant. He noted that a team like Belmont, which went two and two against quadrant one teams, was looked upon more favorably than a team like NC State, which went three and nine against quadrant one opponents, and therefore did not make the most of having more opportunities for quadrant one wins. Do you agree with the selection committee's stance, which seems to be that the win percentage against top competition and avoiding losses altogether matters more than quantity or quality of wins against top competition? I, I think winning percentage does. I, I'm okay with that. I mean, NC State had 12 chances at it and only got three. Belmont got four chances at it and got two of the four. I, I think I think it does matter. I, I think winning percentage does matter. Um I think, and let's let's take out NC State specifically. Okay. They were used in this example because that's what he said in the right, quote. Right, I I think they're a bad example because they had like the worst non-conference strength yes. of schedule yeah. in the entire country. And I think, and I think they wanted to send a message with them to a certain extent of like, you can't schedule nobody in your non-conference. You at least got to try a little bit. But here's the problem, and we talked about this on our Sunday night podcast. The problem with what he said here 
And again, when I look at the brackets and I see how they put these teams together, I don't have a gripe with anything that they did. I don't have any gripes with the teams that were left out or the teams that were put in when you're talking about the bubble teams. But the problem is this quote where you say, no, we just want you to avoid losing to good teams. We don't really care how many games you win. That's my issue with it because... What, who's to say if Belmont played 11 games against Quadrant 1 teams, they, could that, be two they and wouldn't have been 2-9 and nine as it's well. possible. They That's, could also be 6-6. Six and six. They could, but we don't know that. And see if these teams... But how do you penalize them for that when they don't have a chance to do that? But how do you penalize those other teams when they don't have any bad losses? There's no reason to think they're any different than those teams that only won one or two Quadrant 1 games. But, but with NC State, I know you're right, it's probably a bad example because the non-con was so bad. And that probably fact, that would not probably that did factor into it as well because it's not just net and it's not just Quadrant 1. There's There are more factors, even though they, they talked about this being big factors. Yeah, but let's take like TCU, a team with no bad losses, a team who played a good, tough schedule, played legit team, competition outside and basically the argument was they were I think they were three and nine three and nine in quadrant one games I believe no bad losses I think they had a uh, like 500 or slight or one game above 500 in quadrant two games all right maybe the message is this schedule the Belmonts schedule the Lipscomb schedule find the mid-majors that you think are going to be good that season schedule them well, play them. No, here's the problem. Give them a chance. Give no, yourself a chance. No, here's the problem. That's not what's going to happen. They're going to avoid those teams at all costs because they don't want to take the chance of having a loss. So now teams like Belmont and them will get no ch- when they're good, they'll have no chance of playing one of these teams in a high in a non-conference uh high major type game. And what they'll do instead is you all these teams don't, you no. still think they'll get by games? Well, a lot of teams like like Belmont, they probably don't even want to play a lot of bye games anymore. They're probably trying to get you to do like a two-for-one yeah, or something maybe. like that. that. And it'll never happen now because of these marching orders. What will happen is teams will go find uh, Oakland. Or they'll go, fi- they'll go find a middling uh, Horizon League MAC team that's going to be about 150 to 200 in the non-conference schedule. So it's almost a guaranteed win. But it's not going to kill your metrics to the point of NC State where you're going to be out of it. And then that way, you'll have enough losses. You won't have to worry about at the end of the year, you get there and, oh, well, you had 12, 13, 14 losses, and that was just too many. Because with the Big East schedule being to 18 games and the Big Ten schedule being to 20 games, the ACC schedule being to 20 games, all these teams are going to rack up, unless they're elite, eight, nine, ten losses in their conferences. They're not going to take the chance on losing an extra game or two in the non-conference anymore. Okay, but we we scream for more transparency, right? And maybe, and yet he's trying to be somewhat transparent here, and we don't like it. No, hold on, hold on. There's a difference between transparency and being stupid. This is a bad way. I'm fine with transparency, but do it the right way. Like the transparency isn't the issue. The issue is their mindset of putting together the bracket and deciding that. uh, just don't lose games, essentially. It doesn't matter how many quality wins you have, just don't have quality losses. That doesn't make any sense to but, me. But I think, You're penalizing teams I, for playing more quality opponents. I, but I think That's a penalty, bad strategy. But I think the penalty is, I'm not asking you to go 9-3. and three. I'm just asking you to do better than 3-9. and nine. But the problem is, we're saying a team that only has two Quadrant 1 wins is the same as another team that only has two Quadrant 1 wins because they didn't lose as many quality games. But it's like, the, the other team played... 25 games against Quadrant 3, Quadrant 4 teams. But there, are, but there are other metrics used, too. There are. But there's really nothing else separating these teams on the boat. And again, I don't have problems with the teams that were left out. Like, TCU, win another game or two, Bob. Like, I have no problem with that's them getting my, left that's out. That's been my point all I along. Agree. But here's the problem, Skinny. It's I'm not, not asking NC State to go 9-3. and three. I'm asking you to go 5-7. and seven. Skinny, the problem isn't who got in and who got out. The problem is the way they phrased this when they said why they made their decisions is going to make all these teams next year go, hmm, 
We've got one game left on our schedule in the non-conference. Do we want to go try to get a high major game or a game against a Belmont or someone who's going to make us better, a game against Nevada, a game against a team that's going to make us better? Or do we want to go get a game we make sure we win because we don't want to take the chance well, of getting left out on the tournament because we racked up an extra quadrant one loss? That, that part's fair. Then if I was a selection committee, I would say if you lose... If you lose one quadrant three or quadrant four game, you're done. I'm going to ding you. Not dumb, but I'm going to ding you worse than I can ding you for five quadrant one, one wins. I think they've done that for the most part. I mean, look, I think that's what caused Xavier more than anything is they had quadrant yeah, three losses because right. they had a ton of quadrant one wins. Right. A right. ton of quadrant two wins. And, and that's where you maybe if you start to do those kind of things, it does force you to schedule the Belmonts of the world. That, that you think that you not know, if you're in a power conference because you're not playing many of those games. That's the thing, Skinny. You're not. You're well, so not what's pl- the answer to this then? The answer is to reward teams for playing a lot of hard opponents. We, do better than three and nine, though. Why? If no one else is, and uh, why? If the other teams aren't going to win more than three quadrant one games, why do you have to win them just because you went out and tried to play them? Some of this is you didn't try. You're forced by your league because those are quadrant one teams. Right, but my my point is you're already forced to and play how many those, games. those How many of those 12 you think were, were home games? Probably half. Right. So? Win at home. I Again, that's not wrong, but the problem is with the increased conference schedules that are all quality opponents, quadrant one and quadrant two games, they're not going to want to schedule them outside the conference anymore, and that's going to be bad for the sport. We're going to get the same issue we have in football, which is that good teams that have a chance to compete for postseason don't want to play any tough games outside what's well, already you know what? scheduled if, for them if in that's the case i hope every fan base says i ain't going to watch alabama a&m have a good time I'll, I'll i'll buy my single game tickets for the league games yeah well i mean that that'd be nice but you know what they don't care because they're getting more money off their tv contracts anyway yeah, probably true there probably is no set answer to this for goodness sakes that's disappointing well i think it is it's reward teams for playing tough opponents it's not that hard that's what re- big wins tough wins on the road is what should be rewarded not oh you didn't lose games and that's where i'll go back to I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Do better than three and nine. If everyone else is you, winning more than three against three quality games, fine. But if you all have the same, but but okay, so how do you but how do you penalize Belmont for not being able to play those games? I mean, they could have gone four and zero against their quadrant one opponents, or three and one. They didn't have to go two and two. They went five hundred two. Like that's my problem. Five hundred is better than what what three and nine is twenty five percent. Not fifty. Not if you only have two wins and I have two or three wins as well, or I have two or three or four wins. That just just going off of win percentage doesn't matter when you're talking about quadrant one opponents because not all quadrant one opponents are e- are the same. I could be in like the I ACC. Said, okay. Here's yeah. the problem: I could be in the ACC playing Duke, Carolina, uh, Virginia well, I, I, on the road, and you might have played a team that was ranked 74th and 75th on the road, those are both quadrant one games. They're not all the same. That's my issue. But they're utilizing them as the same. So that's that's the bottom well, line. Well, only as a grouping tool. And that's why yes. you can't just go off of, we don't want you to have quadrant one losses. That's my issue with it. Because what if your four, what if your four quadrant one losses that you racked up to get to two and four were Duke, Carolina, Virginia? Then I would guess your other metrics are going to be good enough to, to, to get you in. But saying it this way d- discourages teams from scheduling tough non-conference. That's my only issue is don't say this if you're the committee. This is a bad precedent to set. All right, maybe that's fair. I, I still like transparency. Yes. Give, give me every ounce of it. Give oh, me yes, every I'm, ounce of transparency you can give me as to why but, you put teams in and left teams out. But we've been getting transparency for years. This isn't, this isn't new. 
This is just a dumb way of phrasing how you went about doing it this year. Hopefully, this is a one-year thing, and they won't say this ever again, but this is a very yeah, but bad precedent the, to That's out of the bag there, though. Well, I mean, every committee is different. They've well, changed true. what that's, they yeah, say. That's true. I mean, yes, they've that. changed what they say afterwards. And there are different committee members. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, let's let's face it. They just went to this quadrant one, quadrant two system. Two years ago, and, three years ago, and whatever using it was. the net ago. this year. So everything's always changing with that. So it's not set in stone, but they better make sure they never say that again. Skinny, multiple reports came out on Tuesday saying Mike Trout and the Angels are finalizing the largest contract in professional sports history, a 12-year deal worth more than $430 million, which averages out to nearly $36 million per year. So my question for you, is it worth it to sign megastars who are position players in baseball at this point? And do you need stars like Mike Trout to win a World Series, in your opinion? No, they haven't won a World Series. Or a playoff game, period. Or a playoff game, period, yeah. I, I love Mike Trout. Great talent. I mean... I, I, watching him in the All Star Game here in Cincinnati in the Home Run Derby was—he's just electrified. I—he's a great player, and this is not about Mike Trout. That's a dumb, dumb, dumb deal. It, it's not worth it. It's just simply not. Again, if you start to look at WAR, and based on that salary, I can find a guy for thirty million dollars who's probably—he's not Mike Trout, but it's the drop off isn't significant over 162 games. It's just not. I mean, for them, it's just. Dumb. I know it's the Los Angeles market, and now you got two more football teams there, right? Um, the, the Lakers have LeBron, so you want to stay relevant, I guess, even though we're talking about different seasons. you, I guess you decide you need the star, but no, it's not worth it. It's proven to be not worth it. These teams keep chasing their tail with this crap. It's just dumb. So how do you assemble? What's the what's the recipe to assembling a championship team in baseball? What's the best way? Like let's say because you've got tons of money if you're some of these teams, right. and you know you're going to spend. I mean the Angels have this ridiculous TV contract where they have tons of money. They're signing this contract. They think they're going to be able to do more damage. They've got Shohei Otani already locked up for years. I mean they're they've got a ton of money. So what if you've got all that money? What should you be trying to acquire if you're going to try to win a World Series? Whatever my analytics show, I, I, I'm just I'd be really analytic based of what is a guy's real worth. I'm not telling you you don't sign Mike Trout, but do you go to the stratosphere like this to sign Mike Trout? I think I set a figure, and if the figure I set is not what they set, I move on to the next guy, and it may be a player who's a little lesser than Mike Trout, but still is going to be close to putting up his numbers. I don't know who that would be. I'm just, uh, to me, I, I, you start throwing crazy dollars around, you continue to inflate the market where you, you're almost pricing against yourself. You really are. Yeah, it's true. I, I still don't know if the Phillies hadn't signed Bryce Harper, and I know they were the, the Giants were in the running, but at some point the Giants bowed out and said thanks, but no thanks. You're almost playing against yourself. You're almost bidding against yourself. And if you could tell me, listen, if you could tell me that Mike Trout, um, is going to to get you a... I wouldn't even say... If Mike Trout had gotten you a World Series already, gotten you a playoff win already, then okay, maybe, but you haven't won with him. And yet you're going to sign this astronomical contract? It's asinine. I just wonder... Cause and I'm not begrudging... Look, you're worth whatever somebody wants to pay you, right? Good for Mike Trout. I'm not... This is not about Mike. This is just about teams being stupid. Yeah, and that's more what I'm interested in this conversation because like, when it gets down to individual, like, what is a player worth... I don't know. I mean, for all I know, business-wise, merchandise and branding-wise and everything else, maybe he's worth a billion dollars for all Might I know. Be. Like, I have no idea how the economics work out but, in that but, deal. But if you're telling me from just a sheer baseball perspective, dumb. That's what I'm interested in. And 
again, these teams have the money, a lot of them in the big markets, so they're going to spend it on someone. My, my, I'm more interested in trying to figure out, like, if you're in the NBA, we, you have to have two megastars yes. at least yes. to go chase an NBA championship, and they better be darn good ones if you've only got two. In college basketball, you have to have two NBA talents, and one of them will probably need to be like a first-round guy. Is is kind of the it, it's not a necessity, but it's kind of the the ingredients or the blueprint we've seen laid for for trying to make win a national championship. In football, it's you got to have a stud quarterback. I well, mean, it, maybe you can win it without one, but you have to be exceptional in some other area, yeah. right? Like there are these these. There's um, an outlier. There's always an outlier. Yeah, but there are these plans you lay out, and and for the most part, that's how you go about trying yes. to acquire a championship in those sports because there's a blueprint in baseball i'm i think it's got to be a, acquire pitching right like go after as many star pitchers as you can get because that seems to be but then most you have cons- to overpay for them too and they're the most injury prone ones you do. and you're on the hook for a bunch of money for injury prone guys you can get it wrong but i think again if you're going to spend the money anyways I'm trying to figure out what's the most valuable spot to spend the money on. I oh, think I, I would think pitching. I think it's sure, just yes. got to be go out and yeah. acquire as many stud pitchers as you can acquire, right? I mean, Mike Trout to make to justify this, at least from a performance standpoint, he better win the triple crown three times in the next twelve years. <laughs> I mean, well, I think you ju- you've got to win in the pl- postseason, right? Yes. And, that, and the problem is in baseball, one position player has the least impact on that. And, and that's the thing. I mean, I know baseball and and people knock baseball for trying to promote stars and, and, and find stars and, and do it. Uh, baseball just, it's, it's just not that way. People are not, I'm not, honestly, I'm not going to the ballpark to watch. If I'm an Angels fan, I'm not going to the ballpark just to watch Mike Trout. Yeah, it's nice that Mike Trout is there. I want to go to the ballpark to watch my team win. And if, if Mike Trout's not on a winning team, I'm not just going to watch my, I'm not going to watch a guy swing the bat four times a night. I'm not spending my money on that. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe people go to Reds games just to watch Joey Votto. Barry Bonds I, is the only player I've ever done that for. I, I did do it when he was making his tour and tracing the record. I did that. Okay. But that's the only guy I've ever said, I, I'm going to watch that guy and I don't care about anyone else. Yeah, I mean... Because baseball's not that sport. Look, Joey Votto in this city is a star, right? Yes, but I don't want to go just watch him walk. And do you think you think that fans... Have have flocked to the ballpark to watch Joey Votto, Negative. or do you think they've stayed away from the ballpark because the Reds haven't won? Bingo. Yeah, I, that's why. I, I, just dumb. I mean, good for Mike Trout. I mean, at what stage though? At what stage have you inflated the market to the point where it's it, you can't do this anymore? Well, I mean, uh, they they have to know that better than I do. No I, question. No, I, they can right. spend Me their too. money however they yeah, want. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. I don't know enough about the economics to realize. Like, I, is that a good or bad from deal? a baseball perspective? Dumb. I just have to think. How much pitching can you get with that? Because I just don't think he's going to go out and win you enough games consistently, even though he's got the best war ever in the history of the sport. Right. He might very well be the best player we've ever seen. I still don't think he individually wins you enough games, as he's proven by not winning you a playoff game yet, to be worth all that money you're paying him. Yeah. Uh, and, and unless it's simply for a standpoint of, hey, in the market we're in, we need a superstar who no, sells that, jerseys. That, that, that's, and that's, what I that's, that's the point I made. I mean, ads. You have two relevant football teams, right? And yeah. You have LeBron. It, you know, you're a, you're a, the Dodgers have been really good of late. Maybe in that market, it really is worth having a guy like Maybe. that. I just don't. I don't know enough to know. I don't either. Rick, appreciate it as always. We had a lot of ground to cover. We will be back next week with more mayhem and hopefully some fun. We'll get into maybe some some stories that Rick will find crazy off the internet. He always finds one or two, but we had too much ground to cover today. Good luck with your brackets. Mine will be busted by this time next week. Someone will tell me that, that 
Aunt Susie's doing well with all the nicknames and just throwing darts at the board. And she loves those purple jerseys. She loves them. Don't know anything about them, but she loves those purple jerseys. Have a good uh, March Madness. We'll be back a week from today. This has been the Skinny Podcast with Rick Brewing, the Potpourri Edition, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.